hopeful. My, my PowerPoints are sort of like my notes, <laughs> so it's not really uh, very helpful for you guys, probably. Um, but thanks for coming. I'm, I actually am amazed how many people are here. It's, it's, it's really exciting. Um, so the, the idea behind this seminar really was that um, throughout the year, I just end up getting loads of questions about... Um, music publishing or how to release records or all these kind of things and and I just thought it would be just worth trying to get some of this stuff down in place. Um, so a little bit of history, uh, for, for me I, um, I left college when I was 18 and um, I did a sound engineering BTEC in London uh, because my parents made me do something other than play drums. <laughs> I know, great. Is that at Paddington? Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah, 2003, 2004. Oh, no way. <laughs> I told you it was a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was much earlier than you because I'm a bit older, obviously. But, um, so uh, then I worked as a, a self employed musician for probably a good 14 years. Um, oh, I cut my thumb. Oops. Um, sorry, it's, it's disgusting, isn't it? Has <laughs> so anyone got like a napkin or a bandage or something? I've got a plastic. Really, thanks. I've got a medical team, I've got an IT team. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. It's overlaying the screen, it won't let me move the window. So um, so I worked, like a lot of musicians, I have done every part-time job <coughs> under the sun. Um, I was a window cleaner for a while, then I lost my job as a window cleaner and I then sold window cleaning because the other guy was coming back. So I went out selling window cleaning. Um, I've worked as a, in pubs and bars, and I did the bin round for a while. I've worked in furniture workshops, blah, 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 blah. Um, a lot of musicians I know, full-time music is really hard to sort of pull off, right? So, um, so along the way, um, I did end up getting some money coming in from being a musician, and, and then I had to kind of quickly figure out how do I do this? How do I do this legally? How do I have another job and be self-employed? And, and then, oh, amazing. Switch okay. off, switch on again. Okay. Are you right back there? It's probably not what you, um, not what you had envisioned doing this afternoon. This vineyard, we <laughs> all have to muck in. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it really, there was a lot of things that I wish I'd known when I was 18. And uh, hopefully there's some stuff here that would just be helpful for, for anyone. Um, and if I've made mistakes in this presentation, you can correct me. It's like mistakes of my own. Um, so, have you got, are you able to just show me the first? Oh yeah, okay, I remember what we were going to say right at the beginning. So, before we talk about working in music or um, whatever it is that you guys do. So, looking around the room, I'm guessing some of you are musicians, you're... Um, producers, your songwriters, maybe you do all of that um, in some way, or there's one kind of speciality that you that you focus on. Um, 
I, I don't know about you guys, but one of the things I learned really quickly was... Um, oh, no! Yeah. 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 Here we go. So, you know when you're supposed to have things come up like one at a time? I can't, I can't be bothered to do that, so <laughs> it's just all there, right? So this is, I would say, this is like the single, the single most important thing. I'm going to have to stand over here. Um, and, and from all the studios, I've, I've had a really fun 20 years of working as a musician, um, doing stuff at Vineyard, but also doing stuff in my band with Mark James and uh, Henry. Uh, we've done lots of traveling and worked in lots of cool places. Um, and this is the thing that really makes a difference and really shapes how many times you get called back and, and if people want to work with you. Um, are you a fun person? Are you a safe person? Particularly in, take, take a recording studio, which is, um, that can mean anything from someone's bedroom to you know, actually a proper like commercial facility where the clock is running and lots of people are there and lots of money is being spent. Um, and what happens is you put loads of highly creative, gifted, uh, insecure musicians into that space and, um, and you really need people who are good, like safe people who make other people feel safe and it becomes a safe environment where I can create something good here. I like this guy. I like what he brings to this room or this session. I, we'll get him back, you know. Um, that maybe for some people is more important than like he was amazing. He was an amazing drummer, but he was really unreliable. He's kind of he's kind of grumpy and uh, moody. Um, you know, his gear's always breaking. He's always forgetting stuff. Never answers his phone. These are the, like common things, guys, that even in the vineyard world, when we're working with people, it comes up a lot. Um, you know, um, actually being professional in kind of in the entertainment industry, I would say, um, one of the main things is just like turning up, honestly. I've said I'm going to be here, um, and I'm going to be here. And, and honouring, sometimes that is really difficult because you have to commit to something and then something better comes along, and that's a real kind of integrity test. Like, am I gonna, am I gonna see the thing through that pays less and is way more unseen and uncelebrated, or am I gonna kind of take the the, the shiny option? You know. So, bit showing up, um, showing up on time, um, clear com communication around money, and just kind of not being not being weird about money. You know, just like. Can we talk about the fee? Can we talk about, um, you know, like travel expenses, like food, all that kind of stuff. Um, social media sensitivity. So the higher the profile, the artist or the person that you're working with, um, I would just really be really super conscious about, you know, like, hey, here I am with, you know, drop a name. Or are you sort of, are you taking advantage of that person? I, I feel like I see that quite a lot. Um, and maybe you would never know, but maybe that might be a reason why people would never ask you back to do something. Because it seems that you're kind of, I don't know, trying to build your own thing off the back of someone else's thing. And people are pretty sensitive to that, as you can imagine. Strong work ethic. Um, are you prepared to, you know, 
Uh, do you, when you've done your thing, let's say, um, let's take the studio as an example. When you put your part down, do you just kind of check out and make stupid jokes at the back and distract everyone and, I don't know, or are you like into it? Are you present? Are you engaged in what's happening? Um, there is a time for being stupid and humour and, but there is also a time to just like, hey, let's go again. I think we can get a better one. I think we could um, really keep working on the song because we're really close and let's not settle. You know, um, there's a balance between doing things excellently and then maybe being OCD and kind of putting everyone else through your perfectionism. I, I have to do this again and actually no one else is really that bothered about the way that that drum fill moves the song into the chorus or something, you know. So there, there's just sort of reading the room, um, knowing, knowing when to take a break. Sometimes you need someone in a creative environment to say, um, let's take five minutes, let's just go out for fresh air. Or, um, because you know sometimes the, the negativity can build in a creative environment, whether it's a songwriting session or it's um, a video shoot, whatever it is. If that stuff creeps in, it's quite hard to kind of clear the, the decks, you know. So, the, like you are, I'm looking at a room, a room of great people. So this is like I'm preaching to the choir. But I just thought I'd mention it, like, and the higher up I've ever, people that I've met that work at quite high levels in the music industry, um, that we, we've done a couple of records with Sam Lane, and we used the drummer um, who's really, really well known in the LA kind of music scene. And he would say to me, um, that is the most important thing in the studio. Are you a good person to hang out with? Like, do, does John Mayer enjoy hanging out with you, or whatever? Um, and yeah, you've got to be good. You've got to be a good player, you've got to be able to do, d deliver the goods uh, when it's needed, but do people actually enjoy your company? You know, and do you know how to relax and, and, and then kind of bring it and work hard? So I hope that helps, man. Like, out of anything that we talk about, that is probably, I would say, the most important takeaway, hopefully. So, how are we doing for time? Okay. So, just really quickly, and I'm really sorry, guys, if, um, if some of this stuff is um, obvious or, or if you know um, all about this. But I get a lot of questions about copyright and um, how to protect and copyright songs. So I just wanted to spend a bit of time going through that quickly. Um, not just songs, recordings as well. So we talk about uh, IP, uh, intellect, intellectual property. So I mean, there is like there are people that do this stuff as their their, their job. You know, this is their legal um, speciality. And I'm not that person. But in our world, in a really really simplistic way, when people talk about IP, they're talking about um, you know, this, like, let's say I need a, a Mac to run my video editing business. That's like a tangible asset. I can touch, I can feel, I bought it from a shop. But let's say that, um, and that's a tool I need to create money to help my business function. But let's say that I'm a, a songwriter and I'm writing songs 
and they and they end up creating revenue streams. That suddenly becomes a piece of intellectual property. Um, and actually, in the UK, um, in the US, there is a copyright office that you can register. You know, uh, intellectual property works with, but we don't actually have that in the US, in the UK. So, um, at the moment of creation, at the moment that Sam writes a song, that is now his song and he owns all the rights to it. And if I want to use Sam's song, I need to basically become, uh, I, I need to ask him for a license. Okay, so um, Sam is the rights holder. I'm the third party. I want to use Sam's IP. Um, I can either buy it from him, or I can, I can license, it, license it from him. Um, does that make sense? So, so you know when you, let's say a lot of you I know in this room make your own records and then you, you produce, uh, sorry, you release them through a digital distributor. Um, let's say it's CD Baby, right, for, for argument's sake. What you're basically doing is you're saying, I am the rights holder, I own this record, and I'm licensing, I'm giving you guys an, an exclusive license to distribute it all around the world on all the major platforms and for your trouble you can take 15% or whatever it is but I still own that this is my IP. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So Sam wrote the song, Sam owns the song if I want to do something with the song I'm licensing it from you and that could be on a <coughs> on a, any term that you know it could be three years or or uh, life of copyright in the UK is um, if, if Sam was to die one day, um, it would be 70 years um, after Sam's death that the copyright would be uh, released and it would become public domain. Does that make sense? So it's very binding. And does that go over the same thing for like, if I want to perform your, your song in public, like at a festival, uh, do I have to get clearance from you, the song holder, as well? No, the festival would purchase a license from PRS. So I could play any, I could yeah. a cover. You would just need to let the, the festival know. And they would, if they're doing it right, they would give you a, a song report sheet and you would log all the songs from your set. Um, and then PRS would match it and make sure that Sam gets paid. Wow. Yeah. But you have, if you're, the, if you're the owner of the intellectual property, you have to make sure you register your, yeah. with those yeah, society. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. Um, protecting your intellectual property. So, um, a lot, of, a lot of people. So there is this, this kind of the old school way of that people used to do it would be um, to write a song and print a chord chart and make a CD and then send it back to yourself in the post. You know, registered post or whatever. Don't open it. Um, and then if Sounds like Jimmy stole my song, um, you know, and I can prove it because I've got the original here that I recorded in 1975. How old are you? That's not. We're, we've lost that that whole example. Um, but you know, he could prove that was that was the idea. Here's the original, and it's like date stamped. Now, what what people would say nowadays actually is that if you can build a body of evidence. Um, with date stamp files, and you can do that in lots of ways. So let's say Sam's written a song, it's called God is Fun. 
and um, yeah, <laughs> so God is fun, and it starts on Sam's iPhone as a voice memo today, 17th of February, and then the next thing is that he brings in Nathan, and Nathan and him work on it, and then they do a demo, and that's next week, and then in a couple of months, God is fun ends up on um, in a Pro Tools session, and there's a full band recording it. And there's another date stamp file there. And then it goes to a mixed person, and then it gets mastered, and then it gets released. And all along the way, you've got these digital files, and you can kind of say, God is fun, started here, and ended up here. Um, and that is how I can prove to you that it's, it's mine. And actually, what I did do, because I'm a PRS member, is I registered it at, at the time of creation. You can actually do that if you're... Um, a PRS for music member. I'm sort of jumping around a bit here, but yeah. So when we write worship songs, are we supposed to register them with PRS or with CCLI or with both? Um, I wouldn't. I would say um, that's a good question. I mean, it depends. Generally, so I've I've been doing the vineyard job for ten years, and I've never actually come across anyone stealing anyone's songs. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be <laughs> mindful amazing. and perfective. Yeah, but I am... Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I, so I think, what, number one, I think Christians are fairly good at, at kind of going, actually, guys, Olu did write this one, and we should sort of <laughs> honour honor Olu's creation. Um, if you were working with a music publisher and you were a signed writer, everything that you were writing under that deal would be covered and you would just let them know, I've written six songs this year, these are the titles, here's the lyrics, here's my demos. Um, you, you could, though, if you're a PRS for Music member, uh, you could register it straight away on the app and say, hey, I've just written God is Fun with these two guys, the God is Fun crew. And we've all taken 33%, and it, this is the day of creation. Um, and that also kind of is another copyright proof. So. Um, so what is PRS for Music? Uh, let's see. Have I missed anything? PRS for Music is, so in this, in every nation, I was just chatting to Matt and Shine at uh, lunch, and in South Africa, the Performing Rights Organization, the PRO, is called SAMRO, is that right? Yeah, and in the UK, it's PRS for Music, um, and every territory would be different. So. Um, in Denmark it's CODA, or Germany it's GAMER, there's all these different acronyms. So there's, there's generally one um, in each country. In the US there's three. They've got ASCAP, BMI and CSAC. Um, and so you might see that sometimes if you're the kind of nerd like me that reads you know, liner notes and you see sort of song credits and you're like, what's Virgin, you know, Sony ATV music BMI. What that means is that writer is a member of uh, BMI, which is one of the three performing rights organisations. And what, is, what they do, um, it's really important work for songwriters particularly. So um, anyone that writes songs in this room, I really urge you to join PRS for Music. It's £100. It's a one-off joining fee. It's a bit of a hassle. You have to kind of prove where you live and send them money. And, but then it's done, and you never have to do it again. And what they do is they give you a, an IPI number. You, you get your own sort of number um, and identifier kind of thing. And all your works, all your, all your songs get loaded in there. 
either by yourself or by your publisher, if you're, if you're a signed writer, or in the vineyard what we do is we sign a single song, so every time we'd song, sign a song we would let PRS know we've registered this song. And if we've done it right, we should be matching the right person in PRS. Let, let's say there's loads of, is it Taylor? Mm -hmm. Zach Taylor's, there's probably loads of Zach Taylor's in PRS, right? So that's why the IPA numbers are really important. So um, it's really important that we match the right person with the right song and that you're getting paid properly. So what does a PRO do? So every time music is performed um, live or broadcast in this country, there is a royalty owing. So this venue as a hotel should have a PRS license for public performance broadcast of music. So in the lobby, if they're playing, you know, Taylor Swift, they should be they should be covered by a license. Um, someone mentioned or Adam already mentioned the festival thing. So let's say you go to um, give me a Glastonbury. They'd have a massive, they'd pay PRS a huge amount of money for an event license. And essentially, what, what's kind of cool about it is let's say that God is fun went big, right? And it crossed over into the mainstream. And Zach and Ollie and Nathan suddenly rock stars play God is fun at Glastonbury on the current stage. And this thing's just got big, right? And um, they would actually get paid to play God is fun in front of everyone. So how that works is that they would, um, they, at the end of the gig, their manager, because they've got a manager now, would make a note of all the songs that were performed at that set, and um, God is fun, there you go, and we, you know, four minutes long, um, and what happens then is that PRS go, okay, they play God is fun, um, there's 200,000 people here, so the payout is weighted to the size of the event, so they'd get a big payday for, you know, if Coldplay play for two hours on the pyramid, they are, their PRS check would be pretty tasty, you know, because they're playing all their own songs in front of all those people. And that is the kind of, that is the cool thing about how that PRS thing works. The, the other thing, one sec, sorry, maybe if we do questions at the end, because I will lose my thread and we'll absolutely go down the toilet here. Um, <laughs> Um, I've just lost my thread. That's a great Sweet moolah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so every time uh, God is Fun is played on the radio or the TV, uh, the same thing applies, right? So Radio 1 would have um, a... Let, let's say God is Fun got, got into their A playlist, so there's certain playlists that pay out more at certain times of the day. I think there's an A, B and a C. Um, actually, Radio 2 is a better example because it's the biggest radio station, so, um, and they pay out the most. So, and some of the payouts are like £200 a play. So, um, so actually, you can see how songwriters can earn money really quickly if they get hit. And then into, like, local radio is um, much smaller, but there's still a lot of money to be made from, from just broadcast. And then the other great thing is, let's say I actually um, go with my band and play God is Fun on the pyramid stage um, to 200,000 people or whatever it is, these guys still get paid. So it's nothing to do with my fee for playing at Glastonbury. It's actually really cool that they still get paid. Does that make sense, PRS?
So with, with the vineyard thing, when we sign a song, um, some of our members aren't PRS members, and that means that we have to collect their portion for us, for them, and we have to take 10%. And I'm always saying, guys, there's no point. I'd love for you just to be members, because then you get money straight in your bank account from PRS. It doesn't even pass through our hands. Um, so if there's, if there's anyone here that is, has Vineyard published songs and you're not a PRS member, please let me know and join, and then you can actually you will end up getting better payouts. Um, the other thing that you can do with registering recordings that is worth doing, um, if anyone here is, um, you played on, I think with, so the, the other piece of this is there's, so there's PRS um, and then there's PPL, so they're the phonographic performance. Licensing. Yes. Something like that. Yeah, is that's right. Is still MC? MCPS is part of PRS now. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I'll come on to mechanicals in a moment. Um, but P PPL. So let's say God is fun is back on Radio Two, um, and what happens there is that there's a payment going to the songwriters. So these three guys um, for the composition of the song, but then there's also a payment going to PPL for the recording, the master, the track. Um, and again, it's just really important that if you've played on recordings, what you can do is you can join PPL for free. They'll give you a performer ID and then you can start to match songs that you've played on and you get money from them um, every June, every December. Um, and sometimes it's really random stuff. Like I got something in December, I was like, and you can see where it's come from. You're like, wow, that's amazing. Um, so, it's really important to, to, to join these bodies and just try and be mindful of like, because it, it could be something that in 20 years actually is worth doing the homework now and kind of getting yourself set up so that you can kind of maximise any earnings. hope that makes sense. Okay, so we've touched on this already, but this really confuses people all the time. So. Um, I'm really, really rinsing the God is fun example, but let's stay with it, right? So, um, just to talk, just to go back to this for a moment. Um, so, Olu, Nathan, and Zach have written this song, but they've also made a record, right? So, that record is being played on radio to, let's say today, and there's there's money owing on it, okay? Um, the the really simplistic way of explaining how the money flows is to think about sound and song. So there's the track, and let's say I sign them to Fun Records, <laughs> okay, my label, um, and I, I paid to put them in the studio, I paid for everything, uh, I spent 10 grand on it, we did a video, it was amazing, and it's coming out soon. <laughs> and so I own the master, okay, I own the track, the sound, and everything associated with that, and all the rights to all the earnings from it. But these guys as songwriters, they still own, and maybe they're signed to uh, music publishing companies, maybe they're not. So they still own the composition, right? So, so what happens is Radio 2 play it, they report to PPL, and that goes to me at Fun Records, um, and I can start to recoup my investment on 10 grand. Um, 
and then the, 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 the composition, the song, that gets paid to PRS. Does that make sense? And that goes to publishers or songwriters directly. So, um, so it's just really, in, it's really important to make the distinction. And if, has anyone heard of mechanical royalties? Does that, yeah, okay. So um, a mechanical royalty is the, is the, it's actually the composition, the song part of the, the payment of a, a stream, a download, um, a broadcast. So every time you play God is Fun on Spotify, there is, there is a tiny piece of that that is mechanical royalty that goes to these three guys. And then there's another part that goes to me at Fun Records, because I own the, the master, the sound, and then Spotify take a piece, of course. Um, and maybe my, dis my distributor takes a piece, actually, because I can't, Fun Records can't go straight to Spotify, so I'm going through Ditto Music or TuneCore or something, so they're taking a piece and then it comes back to me. And as the label, maybe I'm saying, you know, we've got this amazing producer and he's going to take a little piece, so he gets a little royalty. The guy that mixed it, he's really amazing, so he's going to got a part of the royalty. And actually, these guys are signed to my record label, and they're the artists, they're the band. Um, just think about band name for you guys. But they, they get a piece as well. So can you understand like how, how complicated it can get, actually? You've got money going to songwriters and publishers, you've got money going to um, the label, and then the label are distributing it to artists, producers, Mixes anyone else that takes a piece of the pie. The um, the things like the engineers and the producers, though, that's all contracted. So they have to decide when they start on that record whether it's worth them as a mix engineer, for example, signing a contract as a payment per play, stream, whatever it is. Yeah. Or whether they just take a chunk of money and that's that's the yeah. bit. Yeah, so it's kind of like a mix engineer yeah. who did the single, a, a pop single. Yeah, and um, it went to number one, and he'd just taken the fee, and he was kicking yeah. himself because he, yeah, yeah, that was back when CDs were being sold, so he yeah. could have earned quite a lot of money. Yeah, and instead he got his like his grand. Yeah, one. it's there was I think there's lots of stories like that. So um, we don't have to go through just conscious of time. We don't have to go. I, I gave the um, the Foo Fighters example here because I just thought it's worth it's worth drawing this distinction. So there's, there's a lot of artists who actually own their own labels, um, and that means that they own their own rights. So um, so Foo Fighters from from the first album, Dave Grohl set up his own record label called Roswell Records, and he basically made his own. He paid for the studio. He paid the engineers, he paid for the mix, paid for the cover art, and then he, he, he gave an exclusive global license to RCA, who are part of Sony Music, and he earns much more money because, and so he owns all of his records, um, and they earn much more because they are the label, and they're giving Sony, they're, they're using the muscle, the global muscle of Sony, to market and exploit their records around the world. So it's a smart business move. So you see a lot of artists do that. Radiohead are famous for starting a limited company every time they make a record. So um, they've got like something like 
14 limited companies and they've got this kind of it's just a way of being really smart and offsetting stuff and you know it's all legit it's all legal they're just really clever with how they manage their rights and their business um, so um, does that make sense sound and song I don't want to labor it too much because I am conscious of time so there's, a, there's there are other income streams um, for, so in the vineyard world, licensing of masters and compositions. So sometimes people will come along and say, I want to make a cover of a song, and they would, they would uh, get a license from us or from our partner Integrity, would sort that out for us. Um, you can also, in the, in the publishing game, a big and really exciting part of music publishing is sync. So it's placement of a song on video, basically. It's, it's syncing together um, music and lyrics with picture. That's, that's kind of where that comes from. And if you can get a song on a film or a TV advert, um, it can be really lucrative. Yeah, and normally, I think the model with films is it's a buyout, so they give you a lump sum, and that can be a lot depending on the film. And that means that they don't have to pay you any royalties after that, they've given you big payout and then they have the exclusive rights to use your recording on their film wherever um, or there are other sync deals where it's like okay we've placed your song on a Levi's ad or something and you're gonna see a buyout but you um, sorry you're gonna see an upfront fee but you there might be a royalty thing attached if if it's going being broadcast all over the world, you know, that could be really good for people. So, there's lots of different ways of doing it. Um, yeah. I don't think we need to go into likenesses. Have you, have you noticed that people are... Well, very quickly. So, there are people that are selling... I think... Who's just done this? Someone has just sold the rights to their likeness. I think it was like... Mariah or someone like that. It's like anything associated with her name and her brand and even her appearance and the way that she appears. It, it might not have been a Mariah. I might be totally wrong about that. But people... It was Kylie. Was it Kylie? I don't even know. Yeah, okay. So um, I don't understand exactly all of that means, but it's suddenly like there's a, there's a company that owns the rights to Kylie's likeness. That if you want to reproduce something about her likeness, you have to apply for a license or, you know. So it's really interesting. NFTs is a huge, um, very controversial thing right now because it's big in the art world. Um, lots of people are saying that there's fraudulent money flowing through NFTs. Um, I don't really get it, if I'm honest, but um, we'll see. I could be totally wrong. It feels like a bit of a dot-com bubble that might burst. Uh, we've, we've done this, haven't we? Just one thing to say on, and we were, we were talking about this at lunch, actually. Um, every time we release a, a record at Vineyard, we have something called a white sheet, and that um, is a very boring piece of admin, but that would basically say um, all of the stuff that we've, that we've just been through. So um, these three guys wrote this song. Um, we would include on that... Um, Info like, okay, so Olu 
Zach and Nathan, they, they split it equally. But let's say there is another song that Ollie took 20% of the songwriter's share and these guys went 40-40. So it would give all their names, all the splits, it would say who publishes the song, the year of creation, which record it goes on, how long's the track, um, it would say uh, what the UPC is of the recording. So every recording out there, whether it's a single, an EP, or an album, has something called a UPC, which is like a, I think it's a 13-digit number. Unique identifier, again. It's just a way of tracking. This is, this is you know, God is fun. And, and, um, and this is the deluxe version of God is fun. That would have a different UPC. Does that make sense? Um, and every track out there on Spotify, Apple Music has something called an ISRC, which is International Standard Recording Code, I think. Um, and you can actually create these yourselves if you are a PPL rights holder. Um, and the way, that they, the way that they do that is that they give you your own prefix, and then you can go in and say, so I've actually got a rights holder account, uh, so I register tracks for our band and I would go in and say here's my three digits at the beginning and then something to do with the date and the number of tracks and and then I've created an ISRC and that follows that recording all around the world forever um, and if that recording goes on a compilation it's the same ISRC if it's the same master recording does that make sense so if it goes on lots of compilations or you know it's just a way of um, all of these platforms tracking your money and making sure that the rights holders get paid so fun records and the songwriters and does that make sense yeah. um, so if you're if you're in the habit of releasing records I would even though you don't necessarily need to do this um, you would be doing this on upload to TuneCore CD Baby I would recommend keeping a copy of your own metadata because it's really easy stuff to forget. You're not going to remember UPCs and ISRCs. So um, just keep, because again, it's another way of saying, this is our IP, this is what we own, and this affects you know, who, who and how, it gets, how we get paid. Um, so yeah, white sheet is literally just one sheet, and it has all that, would have like CCLI numbers, first line of the lyrics, um, they're really boring to create, but they're really important. <laughs> okay, so we've, we've gone through some of this already. Um, I'm sure that you guys are, are au fait with some of these names, CD Baby, Ditto, Distro Kid. Um, I don't know if anyone caught this, but at the Brits, Little Sim's got a Brit, and she is an AWOL artist, right? So what's really significant about that is that she is, um, an, I think I'm right in saying all through her career she has been an independent artist and she's probably got lots of major labels knocking on her door um, but she has remained with AWOL she makes her own records she puts them out through AWOL and I just thought that was a huge moment because most of the people that are uh, getting Brit Awards are major label people and that doesn't mean they're any less or any better it's just that they're um, they're, for the most part, that would mean that um, you know Ed Sheeran or or name I don't know Stormzy. They get signed by a label, and the label 
makes the record, pays up all the costs for the videos and marketing, all that kind of thing. As far as I know, I might be wrong, because AWOL does have a label, but I think Little Sims own, owns all her own rights, and uh, she makes her own records, but she delivers to AWOL, they distribute for her, and they probably help with some marketing and upstreaming. And, but I just thought, man, that's like a huge win for anyone who's an independent artist in this country, you know, that you can actually, you can go all the way from making an EP in, in your, she probably started like all of us, right, in in a house with a laptop with Logic or just, you know, do you know what I mean? And it, and it goes all the way through to like, and I don't know if any of you saw her speech, it was really inspiring, she honoured her mother, um, she, she mentioned that she was independent. I just thought that's significant, that's really, really interesting. Um, so, um, label services, I was talking to someone about this earlier. Um, label services are, to, to a certain extent, um, AWOL is label services company. Um, they, they exist in the Christian world as well, believe it or not. So, what that means, and again, if we're talking independent here, um, and I, I probably would advise you guys to, for as long as you can, own your own rights. Keep hold of your own songs, keep hold of your own records for as long as you possibly can. Um, just because it does, it is possible, in particularly in the music landscape of today, to um, win a Brit Award and own your own rights. Um, it, that, I don't know if that would have been possible five years ago. If things have changed so much. Um, so label services are, are companies like AWOL who you you know you take you take your your master and they help with distribution but they also probably help with pitching to playlists, you know, uh, Spotify, Apple, getting getting your songs onto really big playlists, um, marketing strategy, social media campaigns, all that kind of stuff. Um, I know for sometimes for us as Christians and vineyard people, some of all this feels a bit weird, like marketing and I'm putting myself out there, is this okay? Um, I just would say to you guys, don't sweat it, don't overthink it. Um, it's the more people that we have uh, with a foot planted firmly in the, in the church and a foot planted firmly in the mainstream music space, the better, I think, I think it's really important. And, um, and they're, they're different roles. When you lead worship, it's totally different than doing a gig as, you know, um, our band, you know. It, and, and it's just okay to have different lanes for things, you know, not feel bad about um, being an artist. It's really like, I think sometimes the church struggle, this is not what this seminar is about, but sometimes the church at large don't quite know what to do with artists and artistry. And they don't know how to handle creative people. And so you find that people go in and out of churches and they can't settle because they're not sure if they're welcome. They're not sure if their contribution is actually welcome. And I would love to think that Vineyard is known for having a melting pot of creativity where people, maybe they come and go, that's fine, but we welcome everything. Like, maybe you've written a worship song and you're going out and 
touring with a band or you know playing in the West End or whatever it is you're doing. I love that. I, I think that's amazing. And the more people that do that, the better. So um, these are just some of the things to think about when you release a record. Um, we've talked about UPCs, ISRCs. So uh, what's great these days, guys, is we don't have to worry about physical product. Okay, so I wouldn't, if you're an independent artist, I wouldn't bother. Um, unless, you're, unless you've got a really kind of interesting, cool thing where there's a market for vinyl, that's, that's definitely worth looking at, but the setup costs for vinyl are pretty high. Um, so you've got to know that you can shift them. I wouldn't probably bother with CDs anymore. I just think um, it, they're really hard to shift. Um, so yeah, so on that whole artist thing, it's worth having a bio. And if you can't write it about yourself or your band or whatever it is, your collective, get someone who's good with words to write something compelling about you. Get some good press photos. Again, that's really hard, but someone that's good with a camera, just good at capturing people. Um, having a press release written for every release is really important. And that basically just means, again, it's, it's top and tailing, like cover art, track list, you know, uh, UPC release date. Um, we do one for every vineyard record, and it has all that kind of info on. And then it's got some copy that we find really hard to write. Because you you really are in the tension then of marketing worship music, and that's really hard to do, and all of us hate it. Um, so we've got some help from Integrity actually, who are really good at that. So a press release, you know, what is the story of the record or the song? Tell as much uh, of the story of who you are, or your band, or your thing. That's really really important because there's a lot of noise out there. Um, and there's a lot of people kind of just doing like cut and paste stuff and everyone has a really cool story and your songs are coming from interesting places and you're, do you know what I mean, just try and, try and bring some um, real person, personality, humanity to it I would say. Um, just on, on YouTube really quick, um, so everyone who's trying to do music for a living needs a YouTube channel I would say, even if it's just you know, like podcast stuff or tutorial stuff or, um, so grab a channel, you need a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time to hit monetization. So that's just something that comes up a lot. Um, and to do that, you just need a lot of content. You know, you just need to keep being regularly capturing video stuff and putting it out there. Um, so I hope, I hope that helps on all of that front. Um, we, yeah, okay, have we done, have we done this? Let, let's talk about this quickly and then we, I just want to talk about self-employment and then we could do some questions. Music publishing is, it is a bit of a mystery to a lot of people. What does a music publisher do? Because um, they are kind of often the, the unseen part of it's not, it's not the sexy part of the music industry really, um, but there is a lot of um, money flowing, the publishing, often the music publishing is much more lucrative than the, the label side of, of you know, music, um, which is why you know, often 
the songwriters live in big houses and the rest of the band are kind of, you know, living in just regular houses. Um, <laughs> it's, it's true, man, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I heard, I don't know if anyone saw Coldplay. Chris Martin did an interview with Sane Life a few years ago. You know those kind of beats yeah. things. Um, and he said that the way that they do everything in Coldplay, they split the music four ways, and then he gets an extra um, for writing the lyrics. So it's basically, um, how does it work? 40, oh, 40, 15, 15, 15, is that right? Yeah, I think that's how they do it. No, 30, sorry, that's not right, is it? Um, he gets kind of double, because he writes, they, they all write the music together, but he writes all the lyrics. And that's kind of, a, it's a helpful way of, um, when you're trying to work out songwriter splits, actually, those of you that, that might need to do that, who write together, it's worth thinking about um, music and lyrics and what was the contribution there. Because that's often how um, the music publishers would do it as well. So just thinking about the two elements that kind of come together to make the top line, which is your melody and your lyrics. Okay. Um, so a, a music publisher should be protecting your works for you if they've signed you as a writer. Um, they should be work, trying to work your songs, exploit your songs, which would mean like placement on other people's projects or getting other people to, to cover or sync, that kind of thing, pursuing um, revenue opportunity for your songs. They should be collecting and distributing your income globally. So um, through the PROs, which we've talked about, performing rights organisations, um, through guys like CCLI in the, world, in the, in the Christian world, and also um, the mechanical portion of streaming income. So there's, you know, the, the songwriter part of, yeah. So um, that's what, um, we as publishers are hoping, hopefully trying to do. Um, we're also dealing with translations, which is a big thing in the, in the um, Christian world. Um, the more, obviously just the more um, countries you can get translations in, the better. And often you would uh, credit the translator with a bit of a royalty because they're, a good translation actually is like worth its weight in gold, right? So a poor translation, um, of your song is well, just, you know, it's just really, it's a missed opportunity. So rather than just Google Translate, there are actually people that, that's what they do, they translate songs and, and it's a real gift actually. Yeah, and then we get sent the original English, the new, um, let's say we're translating into Brazilian, we get the English, the Portuguese, and then the transliteration, like what is it actually, look like in English because they sometimes have to change to preserve the meaning but they just don't they can't find the exact word so translations obviously we talk about licenses um, uh, covers all that kind of stuff yeah um, so two models just to be aware of in the music publishing world which are the main ones uh, we've talked about exclusive sign writers I think so the mainstream model would be, if you got a publishing deal with like Universal, they would sign you as a writer, um, 
and they would own everything that you output as a songwriter in that in the term of that agreement. So let's say Zach gets deal with Universal, and it might be like a three-year deal. Everything that you write, even if it's a piece of a song in a, in a co-write, is actually owned by them. Um, and they would probably pay you an annual advance to keep you keep bread on your table so that you can work as a professional songwriter. So an advance being an advance payment up front, and then that is recouped from your future earnings as you begin to kind of see money coming in. Um, and sometimes those deals can last for sort of 8 to 10, 20 years, um, or they could be short-term investment, and you know what, it didn't work out, sorry, we're not going to renew, or this is going great. Um, in the vineyard, we use a single song model, so the, the good thing about that is that we sign the song, not the person, so um, God is fun, you know, we signed it, let's say, as a kid's song, um, but then actually Zach was like, you know, I, I, I'm into really heavy Scandinavian black metal, <laughs> and I'm going to go on tour with my band, okay, and I'm, I will need to write all these black metal songs, and you're completely free to do that, because we, we haven't tied you in, okay, so we've just signed one song, but you can go and do whatever you want in Finland next year. Sounds great. <laughs> so making up all these weird alternate lives for you. Um, okay, so I think I've hopefully, I'm sorry I'm rattling through this really fast. Um, what I would advise you all to do, if you can, in the spirit of owning your own songs and masters, hold on to your ownership for as long as you can, and look for a publishing administration option. So there are, um, in the mainstream, there's actually someone, there's a company called Centric Music that will register your songs with PRS for you. Um, they will administrate and collect any income from any sources, and you can get out in 30 days, which is amazing. I don't quite know how they do that. Um, so, which is really great, because it's so non-binding. So if you're like, I need to park some songs somewhere for a while, just to make sure I'm getting some money in for them, I would go to Centric Music, S-E-N-T-R-I-C. And I've, I've heard some of those guys speak at a few publishing things, and they're really great. Um, in the Christian world, there is a company called Song Solutions that do administration as well, so it's the same thing. I think it's like 15, 20%, um, you own the songs, they take a commission, they register them with all the societies and all the folk. It's a, it's a good, for independent artists, it's a really good option. Um, we've talked about, I think we yeah, I, every now and then someone's like, should I start a publishing company? And my answer would be, you have to be prepared to chase lots of tiny bits of money. And it becomes a really admin heavy job. Um, so start a publishing company and, and outsource the administration to someone. If that, that's my <laughs> advice. It's like, if you're a creative person, don't get into publishing administration. <laughs> that's all I'll say on that. Okay, so just about um, self-employment. Okay, so um, ever since I've worked for Vineyard, so 
I, I kept my status as a, as a self-employed sole trader um, so that I could continue to, to work as a drummer, as a, um, a doing sessions, doing gigs, doing recordings for other people. Um, so there's a lot of confusion about it, but basically you can be employed by someone and you can also remain self-employed, okay? Um, and as long as you, there's some fiddling around with kind of tax codes that you may have to do, letting your employer know, hey, you know, um, I'm submitting tax returns as a self-employed person, just so you know, just, just tell them and it's fine and they can sort it out. So hopefully everyone knows that in this country you get this, you can earn 12,500 pounds tax free, which is great. Um, and um, it depends how, where that tax free allowance goes. It might go through your employment if you're earning more than that, or it might go through your self-employment. But um, one of the great things about being self-employed is that um, you can end up paying very little tax if, uh, legitimately, if you know how to, um, you just, if you can keep your eye on how you're running things, okay, so uh, I would recommend, if you're, if you're setting yourselves up right now, I would say get a separate current account that's in your own name, so it's not, if you're married, it's not like all your money's swirling around your joint account or... Just have like a dedicated, this is my music bank account, okay? Um, and yeah, you want to keep, just try and keep, I know this is really hard for some, some of us who find, you know, personal admin and organization really tricky, right? But try and keep receipts, try and keep records of when you drive somewhere for, let's say I, drove for a rehearsal um, for a gig that we were going to do. Uh, let's say I drove 200 miles, okay, um, to do that, which is something I would do with our band because everyone lives all over the place. Um, I can claim back 45p on the mile for that journey to that rehearsal. And that actually ends up being quite a lot. So let's say I put 30 pounds petrol in the car. I'm kind of claiming like something like 100 pounds actually in real terms off of my tax bill for doing that and that you're allowed to do that this is all this is all legit right so I I ended up doing a lot of miles as a musician and I ended up paying very little tax because I could claim so much business mileage and sometimes if you have people in the car with you, you claim an extra 5p so let's say I give Simon a lift to the gig I, you know I take Simon every time because I earn 5p a mile <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so just like keep keep a record of your business mileage. Really, really important. Keep your receipts. Um, you can claim for all kinds of stuff, guys. You can claim for travel and subsistence, right? So, let's say me and Simon get hungry, and I need a, I need a coffee and a Greg's or something, right? I can I can actually claim for that because I'm working. I'm on the way to, and I it's subsistence. I need to eat while I'm working. Um, I can claim a portion of um, light and heat in my house. If my house is my place of my base of work, which it is, um, I can claim a portion of my mobile phone use, um, council tax. You can 
it's even like if you read the small print, they kind of say, just give us a percentage, like 20%, you know, or 15%, or you can work it all out. You can say, right, well, I pay all this council tax, but, you know, um, or you can kind of give them a bit of a guess and say, right, I'm going to call that like 500 quid in annually, a percentage of all my bills. And again, that can come right off the top of your, your tax. So it is actually really worth doing that kind of stuff. Um, if I buy some new drums, I can depreciate them over, I think it's three years, because they've become a fixed asset. It's something tangible that I need to run my business, a laptop or... Um, so I would just... Um, the, the, the worst thing about it is doing a tax return every year. And like, you know, you get the sweats and you're like, say 1st of January, and we always used to have our national conference on a, across the last week of January. I'd be like at Trent at the back, you know, like 11.59 p.m., something, a tax return. So, yeah. I'm self-employed, so um, there's a really you can get really simple pieces of software now that cost you less than an accountant. Great. And, yeah. And what would you recommend, then? Uh, the one I've been using is um, Go Simple. It's yeah. HMR. It's on the HMR list. You don't have to fill in a tax return. It fills it in for you. Oh, so that's you just, right. You literally tell them that you're self-employed <laughs> on the on the form that you're sole trader. Yeah. You type in what the expense was, the date of it. Yeah. And if it's your household bill, you type in how much your annual household bill is. Use the slider to make a percentage out of it. You don't even have to do the calculation. That's awesome. You click yeah. submit and it fills, the, it fills the form in for you. Yeah. That's great, man. That, I mean, that, honestly, guys, it, you know, if, if you're anything like me, you want, you don't want to pay much tax. I mean, you just don't, really. Um, I, I agree that we should pay tax, by the way, for the record. Um, but, um, you know, as musicians, it's hard to make a living, isn't it? It's hard graft. And so, you know, just, just try and figure out what are the things that I can legitimately claim for keep a record of that stuff and actually it's really worth because most musicians I know it's like oh it's just stressful man I can't cope with this and I'm just going to pay the fine like I'm just going to pay the late fine you know and then the interest starts piling up and it just becomes this horrible nightmare thing so if you can just try and keep on top of it and I honestly, I honestly think about it in mid-January. I'm like, oh, better do it, better do it. But I've got a, you know, PRS are really good now. They've got like, a, you can get an annual tax statement. How much did I earn from PRS in that tax year? And it will just say. So you just add that in. And I've got a spreadsheet. I think it's a Google sheet. And I just rip it from last year. And I kind of go, okay, I'll just put all the new numbers in. It's like it doesn't come naturally to creative people, but... Just if you can get on top of it, it will save you so much kind of stress, and you don't want to be, you don't want to have the tax man after you, finding you, and all that kind of stuff. It's a total nightmare. Um, if you've ever rung the tax office, and you will know exactly what I mean. All right, it is seven minutes past three. Does anyone have any questions? We can't actually stay a little bit longer because. I don't think anything's happening. If you want to go, please do not feel like you're being rude. Just slip away and plan to come back. Yeah.
Yeah. Is that is that something that you would have to agree with them via like via negotiation, as in to whether you're gonna have a licensing agreement or a set upfront fee So would that work be signed to a publisher or is it just independently like self published at this point? Um, yeah I guess self published if someone reaches out to me, so the BBC reaches out to yeah. your your song will on a drama. Is, yeah. it, is it that they basically say that this is how much we're willing to pay, or is it is it that you basically have to have a conversation and negotiate about it? Yeah, it? yeah, okay, so in my experience often people are like um, music supervisors who are the people looking, working for the TV channel or the film company or whoever, generally, unless they're like crazy about a independent artist, they're probably going to music publishers and looking for um, songs for sync placement. And um, so often the negotiations are done with you know the publisher or the administrator and they would be and they'd kind of keep the artists, you know, they're out of it. It obviously probably does happen like that. And I, I honestly don't it's that's where it gets tricky because I think you don't really know where the goalposts are, do you? You don't really know what's the going rate for when you're on your own. So, um, has anyone got an experience of that? Like, no. I, no, I, I don't actually. It's a good question, man. But I think that's why it's worth having someone who's in your corner, even if it's just an administrator, like eccentric, because you could they'd have a sync department, and you'd be like, hey, I've been approached by. BBC, can you help me with this negotiation? And they would, because they would, then they'd be like, well, this guy, we're going to take 15, 20% of whatever that fee is going to be, but they might drive up a good bargain for you. And you see what I mean? So it's kind of worth having some help. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Do you need legal advice? Like, is there um, music lawyers that you can go to or? Yeah. Some kind of website that can explain that. Or do you, I bought a book called um, Something for Dummies, like talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Musicians' like, Union is probably your best bet to Yeah, it's a good shout. Yeah. Um, because they'll have, they'll, they'll have access to legal stuff included in your yeah. union fees. Yeah, there's also it's an MU. I think I can't remember how much you pay a year for the MU. Two hundred or Two hundred pounds a year. Um, there's another one that's a bit cheaper. I can't remember it's called. Oh, competitor. Yeah. It's like RAC. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the. Um, oh gosh. No, that's for music publishers. Um, yeah. So there are there are tons of music lawyers out there, particularly in London, um, and they're really expensive. So it's definitely worth going to like be an MU member and because they would have they would have some stuff. Basically, there are a lot of contracts work the same way. There's there's what they call like boilerplate stuff. There's like the stuff that show up in every contract. You know, like grant of rights or um, force majeure or you know all these kind of things. But often, so there's like 30 pages of blah, and then there's like two paragraphs where it's all done. You know, like all the heavy lifting is like, oh my gosh, I just signed away a really bad deal for myself. Or, you know, it's just, it's literally like a couple of lines and a couple of percentage points. And 
So often, the temp there are templates out there, but but you've got to be really careful. I would I would recommend MU. They're really good. Yeah, and they do. I, has anyone got experience of like leaning on, reaching out to the legal? I'm really you, out at the moment. Are you? Have <laughs> it's they been good? Pounds, by the way. Sorry? It's 18 pounds a month. That's good. Have they been helpful? I'm waiting on them to be helpful, but they were very immediate. <laughs> right, okay, no, yeah, that's no, good. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've had, had, uh, once had a gig where the client didn't want to pay, and another guy in the band was an MU member, and like they were really helpful with that. In Brilliant. Just kind of, yeah, saying like, no, you can't put pressure on the client, and then once we said that we had and you, you know, lawyers and stuff, they paid quite hey, really. Yeah. Oh, that's really good, that's really so good. So you don't even actually need to do anything yeah. just the advice. Yeah, no, that's really good. We did a gig in Scotland once where a guy signed a contract with us and we drove all the way up and he just didn't, he, I just think he ran out of money, but he just didn't have the money and we spent months chasing him and in the end we just gave up. It was, it was Really frustrating though, because it's like, man, you you signed a contract, dude. Come on, you know, you're a Christian guy. Um, there is grace, but at least can you, you know, like put some petrol in our tank or something? You know, I don't know, just it sucked, man. And if we'd have had MU options, it would have been. Well, yeah, yeah, so it was a you, nightmare. Sorry, it's a stress. Say it pays to research all of this and. Before you step into it, so you know what you're you're stepping into. I would only get a lawyer involved once you've got something offered on the table. Oh, yeah. Like let's say let's say you got offered a, a record deal, or a publishing deal, or like Ollie was saying, some kind of buyout thing. Someone approaches you, I want to license your track. That's the moment to engage. Unless you're an MU member and you you're, and you can then say, can you help me with this? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, is that, is that yeah, what you Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you can just end up burning through hundreds of, you know, for a, for a few phone calls and, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Charlotte. Um, so we have a situation now where we're, we've got some people who've sent us songs that we're going to be recording over the next while. Um, and I wanted to be clear about the when it suddenly becomes an infringement of copyright in terms of melody because yeah. this particular song and I've never, I haven't actually found out what the actual, like what are the number of notes? Oh, now you you're asking. Oh, sure. like someone told me seven as well. So I've been speaking to this guy because I said your song sounds like another song. Right. Um, and he was like, oh well, like songs do sound the same and I was like okay no but your melody is exactly the same for yeah. how do we find out the exact does anyone know because I can't I quite remember I think I think well, I don't change one note but he's like no it has to be consecutive isn't it? I think it's seven consecutive but I might be wrong it might so now they're now they're doing court cases on rhythm and John like you know the Marvin Gaye ones yeah yeah I think I think just change the song man it's easier yeah, yeah what, what I've done Charlotte was because um, we had someone who wrote a song that sounded really like a Carrie Joe song, yeah. and the songwriter didn't was like, yeah, I, not, I don't really agree, I don't think it does, and I was like, as a publisher, I can't re really risk it, because if you put it out there, you, 
get all into all kinds of trouble and cease and desist and all that kind of stuff. So I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I know who publishes her songs, and I'll send it to her publisher. And I said to this guy, we really love this song, actually. It was kind of a, a wounder. I think it sounds a bit like this. What do you think? Before we do anything else with it. And he came back and was like, well, number one, thanks for checking, because no one normally does. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. they just go ahead and do it, and then we've got an issue. It's a, and, and I do agree, it does sound too close. And if you could avoid... And that was really helpful, because we were actually able to go back to that person and say, we might need to agree to disagree, but we can't take the risk of releasing this song because it's too close. So it was really helpful to get almost them as a third party to come in. And well, the other yeah. one on that is you actually, like what Ed Sheeran does, you go to the people and you say, would you like a songwriting credit? So like, no scrolls. Yeah. <laughs> that keeps happening. Does that happen with, um, with Olivia Rodrigo? Yeah, Paramore. Yeah. Yeah. Paramore yeah. and Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, it just yeah. suddenly got kind of people. quietly settled. And, yeah. and that, but that's publishers. That's, that's what the publishers are there to do. Yeah, behind the scenes, they should be looking after each other, each of their songwriters, and kind of going, okay, guys, we've got a problem here. But rather than a big court case, let's actually just settle songwriting credits, back pay everyone, and everyone's happy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think Anne-Marie, because she references a bunch of singers in her, is it 2002? Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah, totally right. yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think they pre rearranged that, because it was part of the song. Yeah, yeah. To mention songs they sing, so yeah, perhaps yeah. they're honouring them in the song, did. and yeah, totally. I think so. Yeah. Um, no, it's good, yeah. No. Um, so I was watching a documentary of the Bee Gees, and um, they done the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever, as well as a lot of the tracks on that film. But Maurice Gibb and Robin Gibb died and left Barry Gibb, who's one of the brothers. And yeah. uh, one day they got a deal from the film where they got a half percent of their music, basically. So whenever they get like a bio film or play or whatever, they get half percent of that. Right. Which doesn't feel like a lot, but it's quite a lot. Then I was reading up on Prince and he didn't have a will. And his estate got valued recently for like $167 million. <laughs> um, but um, if you if you inherit that, you got to pay inheritance tax. So yeah. what they're doing is they've used this house as a museum to make money to hopefully pay off the inheritance tax down. Oh really? Like, no, no, no. Estate. But my question to you is like, but like, my question to you is like, how does it work? Like where like, if I've just made a hit recently, it's my first song just made a hit. Is it worth making a will, or is there things in place with PRS where? It'll just go to my mother or just go to my brother or something like that. Do you know much about that? Well, that's a really good question. Um, in, in, in what little I know about wills, being married, um, I haven't got a will, by the way. <laughs> but if you, have, if you have an immediate spouse, then it would automatically in law go to your spouse. But well, what if you're like just on the road or something? Yeah, that's cool. I'm taking it all like the big Well, like the wheels, like, because like, you're going through PRS all that stuff. Can't PRS just like sort out for you? I think you would speak to a lawyer to get that will done. Yeah. You can't just rely on PRS. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they don't do wills. They, they wouldn't get involved that. You can get a will written for less than a hundred quid. So. Yeah. But it's just that a song is so intangible, you know? So it's like, how yeah. do you 
how do you distribute something in your will that's so intangible? Do you royalties and stuff when you... There is, um, yeah, there is something. We've had one or two, believe it or not, because we've been publishing songs for 20 years, and we have had some people die. And you have to do um, a, like an IP transfer. So you have to transfer cross to a next of kin. Wow. Um, yeah, so that can, that can be done. Yeah, that's, that's a fairly common, particularly in the United States, as copyright um, expires after 35 years. So um, a lot of people can either get their songs back or if you if you suddenly die, it can it needs to be transferred. Anyway, that's that's actually a, a separate thing. But we're we're actually quite protected in the UK because of a yeah. lot longer oh, laws life of copyright. Yeah. Copyright. Yep. Right. So slightly uh, don't hear me wrong. What would you say is the best income stream for worship music for worship songwriters? Like, where's the most money coming from? Not because I want to focus on it, but just oh, what, you think. what just in, yeah. in practical terms? Yeah, like, totally. Like where the checks come from? Is it CCLI still? Hundred percent CCLI. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that is why I kind of did the report. That's why you hammered it, right? Registered. Yeah, because and CCLI, they're, they're actually um, they're at, they're a company with nice people that work there, and and I went to them and said, guys, can you just let me know um, because. You know, we're we're many things in the video, but we're probably, uh, you know, not very. A lot of our local churches are just everyone's scrambling, right? And CCI is probably the thing that just slips off everyone's plate. Um, I just said, how many people are up to date on licenses, and how many people, how many people from Vineyard churches report? She was like, you're not as bad as some others, but you guys could definitely <laughs> do better, you know. Um, so it's really helpful, and it was really helpful to know that. Yeah, you could have you could be smashing vineyard songs week in yeah. week out, but if you're not reporting them, like literally nothing happens. You can name and shame. Yeah. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get that deep. Oh, did you not? No. That would be great. No. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I think um, Jeremy and John talked about this in the research about Christian music industry ending up under the banner of the big majors anyway, like and. Um, you know, corruption in there, but I just would be interested to know your thoughts on that, because it's a tricky... Yeah, I've wrestled with that a little bit, because, um, so, so, Capital Christian Music Group is the biggest label in the Christian world, and they're owned by Universal. Um, but, listen guys, Universal own everything. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so does Sony and Warner. So yeah. the three majors yeah, yeah. own three big ones, basically everything. Like, um, in Nashville, Provident is... So all the Christian labels, bar a few, are owned by... So I think Provident is Sony. Um, yeah. So Provident would be like Ellie Linebear and some of those yeah. kind of artists. Um, uh, Curb and Word is Warner. Think or was um, capital is universe. I mean, it. I love a lot of things about that book. I think it's really. Um, I don't really know where that argument ends, okay? Because what, what then do I do? If I'm gonna, we live in a secular world, right? So if I release a record, it's going through tech giants and Apple Music and. YouTube and I'm, yeah. there's money coming back yeah. through, through that anyway. 
Are we, as Christians, are we trying to build a completely siloed infrastructure? I don't think so. I think we should just... Yeah, so, and actually, I'm, here's the thing, right? I met some of those people at Capital, and some of them are just really good people. They're not... Um, I don't think Jeremy's, like, really going after them in that book, but I have heard... They're good, they're good people, they're nice people, they're godly people. Um, there's always bad apples, right, in any organisation, and people that kind of bring... I think it's really easy to throw rocks at... Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really reluctant to do that. And integrity are interesting because they're not owned by a major, but... But, here's the thing about that, they are owned by a really, uh, they are owned by a Christian book publisher. Um, and it kind of feels like everyone's owned by someone, somewhere, you know. CCLI is owned by um, CSAC.